Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey from the Kaka. This is my daily podcast that goes out with my daily email newsletter for subscribers every weekday. Today, I want to talk about inflation, the global economy, what it means for us, and in particular, why I'm still proudly a member of Team Transitory. For those who've been following the whole inflation, interest rates, global economy story, and my thoughts on this for the last year or two, you may have wondered why I've stuck to the view that inflation will remain low in the long run, particularly after these spikes in inflation all around the world, to as high as 9.1% in the United States, and obviously over 7% in New Zealand. Well, well outside the 1% to 3% or around 2% targets that central banks have got. Because quite a few people have abandoned Team Transitory. But I'm sticking with it. And we got some news last night out of the United States to suggest that Team Transitory is going to win in the end. Uh, And actually, when you look at some of the numbers on commodity prices, on shipping rates, uh, on uh, various early signs of what's happening to inflation, they are coming off the boil. Last night we got data from the US Bureau of Labor Statistics showing that inflation in the United States was 0.0% in the month of July from June. The annual inflation rate was 8.5% from a year ago. Now that's down from 9.1% in June and was lower than the 8.7% that most people had expected. The 0.0% for the month was also lower than what people had expected at about 0.3%. Now the main reason for this was a big drop in what they call gasoline petrol prices in the United States back down towards $4 a gallon. They had been at or over $5 a gallon a few months ago. But as we've seen, the price of oil has dropped back in the last couple of months to under where it was just before the Russian invasion in Ukraine. That's because there are growing signs of recessionary forces, and in some places actual recessions, later this year or early next year. That means less demand for oil. And all over the world, we've seen consumers react to the higher prices that happened soon after the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Not just for oil prices, but also for food prices and all sorts of other things. There was a consumer reaction. We saw what they call demand destruction. So less demand with a certain amount of supply, you see prices fall back. So there was a reaction in the markets to these high prices. Now in the meantime, there has been some inflation feeding through into higher wages, particularly in the United States, less so in some other places. And this has caused a lot of people to worry about wage price spirals and inflation becoming embedded and that central banks had effectively lost the battle to get inflation under control. 
Well, these numbers out of the United States uh, are only one month's figures and uh, it always pays to be cautious. And I'll give you a few reasons to be cautious later on. But this confirms uh, the view of those in Team Transitory that inflation will come back down again because commodity prices have dropped quite sharply and freight rates have also dropped sharply because we're likely to see recessions in the United States towards the end of this year, early next year, recessions in Europe, in part because of the Russian withdrawal of gas from Germany and other major economies in Europe, and of course the shock of the war in Ukraine that's um, reduced consumer spending, let alone the demand destruction from all this inflation. So what you're seeing is inflation coming off the boil all around the world, and you've seen it here too, particularly in petrol prices. Now, the question is, is this something permanent? Are we going to go back to where we were pre-COVID? I'm in that team transitory camp, although, of course, it depends how long you think transitory is. Uh, certainly, it's longer than the six to 12 months that a lot of central bankers thought last year. And many of those central bankers have jumped hard out of team transitory and are now looking to put up interest rates. But financial markets, particularly those trading longer term bonds, have always thought that inflation would remain under control. Inflationary expectations as measured in five-year and 10-year government bond yields, and you can do this by essentially separating out the, uh, the real yield from the inflation expectations, shows you that, uh, that for most of that period, the smart money, the wisdom of the crowds trading the world's most liquid financial markets, actually didn't see inflation getting out of control. They thought that uh, central banks would win in the end or that these global underlying forces that have caused low inflation, in many cases deflation, for the last 30 years have not gone away. And I'm of that view as well. Just to reinforce and to um, uh, repeat for those who haven't been listening uh, to my podcasts for years, uh, there are four or five driving forces that have not gone away despite the events of the last couple of years. In particular, globalization, not just of products but of services, particularly those areas such as health, education, financial services, where up until now they've mostly remained carved off from the rest of the world and protected from the uh, competitive forces of globalization. Well, as the giant tech companies, the likes of Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, um, get into these areas, then you see the same forces driving down on prices in services. And remember, services is more than 60% of the economy in developed countries you see deflation coming back into the market. And you only need to think of what's happened to the likes of uh, hotels, taxis, movies, news, and a whole bunch of things in services. And think of the areas such as health, education, and financial services where uh, globalization of services, the evaporation into the cloud, 
the replacement of workers with uh, um, artificial intelligence has only just begun. And those forces are not going away. Uh, also, uh, we have yet to see China uh, carved out of the global economy. Remember, China's entry into the global economy in 2000 and the end of the Cold War in 1989 sparked a globalization of the world's supply chains, often ending up in factories in China, but involving the increasingly complex and detailed uh, shifting and moving and production of components and uh, end products all around the world in globalized supply chains. The fear was, particularly when Russia invaded Ukraine and was cut out of global supply chains, largely, uh, that de that deglobalization would reverse or uh, block any more of that deflationary effect of the globalization of products. But we have not seen China cut out yet. There's been a lot of noise, a lot of talk about onshoring, friendshoring, insourcing, and reorganization of supply chains. But actually that hasn't happened yet. And there's a lot of bluster, but at the end of the day, globalized companies and China like globalization. It's good for profits. And certainly for China, it's the major achievement of the government and its economy to shoot itself in the foot by, for example, invading Taiwan would uh, end that, that dividend, if you like, to Chinese society from globalization. Uh, it still could happen accidentally, but for now, China is not making the same mistake that Russia did. Uh, secondly, there is a lot of talk about wage price spirals and the new power of workers to demand higher wage inflation and better uh, conditions. And there has been some signs of that in various pockets. But the essence of the battle between labour and capital is that since the late 80s, concerted political forces, structural forces, have reduced the power of labour in the workforce by the introduction of the likes of the Employment Contracts Act and other uh, uh, legislation to effectively depower unions, to splinter workforces, to uh, make economy-wide and fast pay increases difficult, the sorts of things that the Fair Pay Act would allow, uh, which still haven't gone into power and uh, in New Zealand would be repealed by any new government. So this idea that somehow there's been a massive reversal in the power of labour is just wrong. Uh, there has not been a massive reversal in the um, union penetration, particularly in the private sector, in the developed economies, and the ongoing trends of outsourcing, of contracting out, and of bringing in migrant labour have certainly not gone away. We may have thought that migration was a done deal, would never happen again during COVID, but of course it will, and has already started around the, around the world. And those fundamental driving forces of political instability and climate change, pushing often skilled people out of the, uh, the Middle East, Africa, parts of Asia, and into the rich and aging 
workforces of uh, developed countries in Europe, the United States, and the likes of Australia and New Zealand are definitely still on. Climate change isn't going away, and the political instability that and lack of investment that often drives people out of um, countries in the Middle East and Africa and and other countries like that are are not going away either. Also, it's um, premature, I think, to say that uh, all of these forces together are going to drive down, uh, or, sorry, are going to drive up uh, uh, prices of food and oil. Because ultimately, I think we will um, convert our energy use from oil to renewable resources, which are effectively much cheaper than oil and more stable because mostly the uh, the solar and other renewable uh, sources of energy are domestic and not reliant on corrupt and unstable dictatorships in Russia, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela and Iran. So um, my view is that the def- deflationary forces haven't gone away and, they're now na- and they are now reasserting themselves. If you want to see some more detail and some fun charts, you can uh, see that in the email that I've put out. Also, um, for those people wondering, well, what's out here? What happens if the inflation does keep going? What's the um, explanation or excuse? Uh, What are your caveats? Well, all bets are off. If we have some sort of um, massive war, I've described it as Warmageddon, it is possible for war to break out accidentally in the Taiwan Strait, or for it to escalate horribly in Central Europe. That would destroy all the benefits of globalisation and make it more difficult for the globalisation of services to continue to drive down wages and prices. Also, um, the movements of migrant labour around the world would be much more difficult in a global conflict situation. Also, you're likely to see a lot more... uh, public investment in infrastructure, assets and skills during a war. That's what we certainly saw during the late 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s, during the hot war of the Second World War and the Korean War and the Vietnam War and then the ongoing Cold Wars of 1970s and 1980s. That saw governments in developed countries have high tax rates and invest those high taxes in public infrastructure, such as Uh, Eisenhower's creation of the interstate motorway network in the United States, which triggered a massive round of growth. The GI Bill in the United States, which which educated and uh, made much more productive an entire chunk of society who wouldn't otherwise have been educated. And the the rapid um, strengthening of social welfare and other uh, safety nets in the wake of the Second World War by governments worried that voters would choose communism over capitalism. Now, since the late 1980s, with the end of the Cold War and the rise of the political forces looking to cut taxes, cut public investment, uh, you've seen a widening of inequality and in particular, the growth of what are described as cash gluts or saving savings gluts. This is where more and more of the resources and the incomes are concentrated into the hands of often very rich and usually older 
uh, people who don't need to reinvest those those cash savings into riskier but in the end more productive real investments in the real economy it's much easier and safer to park that money in effectively passive or dead assets such as cash bank accounts bits of art on the wall crazy things like cryptocurrencies various other dead assets that don't actually invest in uh, the real economy drive up productivity, uh, worker incomes and, uh, and confidence in a way that would um, generate inflationary pressures in the long run. The sorts of inflationary pressures we saw during the 70s and 80s as a lot of uh, workers got a lot more money and were able to uh, bid for things uh, and often the supply uh, didn't of those things didn't keep up with their demand. In this day and age, we're actually better at producing the supply and at limiting the demand of most workers in developed countries by ensuring that uh, a good chunk of the income and most of the assets are concentrated, essentially stuck in vaults. Uh, this is These um, savings gluts are a recognised issue and they're not going away either. And you can see more detail on that in the effectively the um, global investment uh, drought that's happened through the 90s, 2000s and 2010s as uh, governments cut tax rates, cut investment and uh, weakened social safety nets all with the aim of uh, ensuring that the size of government stopped growing or at least started falling in some places and that tax rates, particularly for those people on higher incomes, corporate tax rates were reduced. So that's the other caveat here is that if there is a reversal of this process where democracies are captured by the richest and run to cut taxes and cut public investment, uh, then um, all bets are off. But at the moment, um, they're fir firmly in control, as we've seen with the way that um, uh, you've seen the um, funding of the Trump and Brexit movements and others around the world by uh, uh, the wealthiest and most um, connected groups able to essentially ensure that there isn't a reversal of those big changes that happened in the 90s and 2000s with ever-falling tax rates and ever-falling or very low public investment in infrastructure, which is what actually drives productivity growth and consumer demand, particularly widespread consumer demand in the long run. So there we have it. Um, I'm still in Team tan Transitory and I'm having a, a small victory lap today after those very um, uh, low inflation numbers out of the United States. 0.0% for July. And I've included a few of my caveats just in case um, it was just a monthly blip. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. Thank you to those paying subscribers who allow me to do this work, get up at four in the morning, have a look through the spreadsheets and the detail coming out of these global economies and try and explain it and understand it for you all here on this part of the world. Kaki te anō.